So there's at least two kinds of people in the world. And we talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about the people who want to put Christmas up after July the 4th celebration is over. And then there's also the people who want to take Christmas down at noon on Christmas Day. Right? I tend to be one of those kind of people. I love Christmas. And I love having Christmas decorations up. But I'm very much an all-or-nothing kind of guy, um, sometimes to great fault uh, uh, and character. I'm an all-or-nothing kind of guy, and it's like when Christmas is over, I'm like, okay, let's get the boxes down, right? And I'm curious how many of you have already taken down your Christmas decorations. If you're in the room, raise your hand. If you're on the chat, let me know. I'm curious, okay, like a third, close to half-ish. That's interesting. Yeah, so this year we have not taken our Christmas decorations down because it's 2020. Why should anything be normal? Um, we uh, are extending Christmas a little bit because we're having our family over. My brother Greg and his wife Robin are here in town today, um, and we have to have lunch with them since they're here. So we figured we'll do it at the house, and at least if the Christmas decorations up, something will feel festive with Greg in the house. You know what I mean? Um, older brother. Um, and so, yeah, our Christmas decorations are still up. But here's what I want to submit to you this morning. Christmas isn't actually over yet. And I don't just mean like that it's December 26th and past. No, I mean Christmas, like the point of the story, isn't over yet. We began, as a quick review, our Advent series called Missing Peace. That it seems like peace is missing. We, we began this series in Luke chapter 2, the traditional Christmas text where the, the angels are declaring this song before the, the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. That first there's glory to the God who is in the highest. There's, there's praise in the highest. What does that mean for us right here in our real estate? That means peace has come. And we said the the heart of that passage is telling us that we praise our way to peace, that a Savior has been born, that he's come to us. Our, our peace isn't from earth. Our peace is on earth because a Savior has come. We praise our way to peace as we orient our life around his glory. That's the only hope to find full peace. We talked about that this word peace, there's... They say over 790 verses in the Bible that talk about peace. And and we could talk about the the fact that some of those verses mean peace with God, spiritual peace, or peace within ourselves. You could call that emotional peace or peace with other people, relational peace. But there's a fourth category of peace that we've been talking about, and it's shalom, which is all of that and more than we can fathom. It's human wholeness. It's human flourishing. That only happens in a life that's existing for the glory of the Savior who has come. Then we we jumped from the Christmas story back in time at least 700 years. We're not exactly sure uh, when the, the book of Isaiah was written or exactly how long it took, but at least 700 years before Christmas, the Christmas story actually happened, we read this prophecy about a child who would be born, about this son who would be given and the, the government, the authority would be on his shoulders and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we kind of 
parked a few weeks ago. And what does it mean that he's the, the prince of peace, that he's on the throne, that he is born a baby that, that's born a prince is a prince because they were born to a king. He has, he has authority. This baby in the manger has a authority over our peace, not the people in our life, not the circumstances in our life, not the way we feel today based on the weather or whether the sun is out or not, that there's someone who rules and reigns in the realm of peace. And as we preach to ourselves that despite our circumstances, he's still on the throne, that's the pathway to experience shalom. That we're, it's not so much that we're preaching at our spouse or preaching at our kids or preaching at our coworkers or our friends. There's a time for that. But that we're preaching to ourselves who our prince is. And he goes to war to make peace for anything that would seek to rob our peace. So that he can usher us into a kingdom of peace. That's our prince. And we preach our way to peace. And then we hopped back towards the Christmas story. We, we started with the Christmas story. We went 700 years prior to that. And then we hopped into about seven months before the Christmas story. A couple months after Mary is told that she's pregnant, Joseph gets looped in. Good for him. And we talked about how it's amazing that this prince of peace would be born into this relational chaos. Where there's... There's this belief of betrayal and there's there's this unplanned pregnancy. There's a potential for economic ruin and for embarrassment and for whispers. There's the threat of divorce. And that's the entry in which God chooses to bring salvation into the world. That we we see here that he's coming to make a way for peace between us because what united Mary and Joseph was the fact that they both needed the same thing. A savior. And it's what unites us as well. So Psalm 34 tells us that we are to seek peace and pursue it. And so because of the hope of the gospel, we pursue our way to peace. And last week we we looked back again. We went back in time again and went back to Isaiah. And we looked at this beautiful promise that when when our minds are stayed on him, that he will keep us in perfect peace. When we prioritize who he is, when he's our focus, when our mind is stayed on him. We said last week that we have the profound ability to complicate the simple things. But our God has the extraordinary ability to simplify the things that are overwhelmingly complicated. The salvation of humankind, he brings a baby. When we are centered on him, we are kept in perfect peace, which in the Hebrew is shalom, shalom. It's a double blessing. That's our hope. This morning we're, we're gonna, we're gonna continue for the week after Christmas talking about Advent. And I think this is the first year I've ever done an Advent sermon on the Sunday after Christmas. Because I tend to be a Christmas is over kind of guy. But technically in the history of the Christian church, Advent's something that the church has practiced for 2000 years. And Advent doesn't technically end until the Sunday after Christmas. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. We just had Christmas, bless God. You know, we didn't, Advent was something that like we thought other religions did or something. I don't know. Um, but truly this is supposed to be the focus of Advent today. Christmas isn't over yet. So I'm going to encourage you to grab your Bibles this morning. Um, we, we're going to invite you to say a creed with us that we say out loud together and a prayer before we dive in this morning uh, to hear what God has for us. I'm going to invite you to hold up your Bibles in the air. We're going to say this together. Even if you're watching online, say this out loud wherever you're from with us. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy 
Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Uh, the website BibleGateway.com uh, is a place you can go if you're looking for a certain topic in the Bible or if you want to know what a word is in the original language. There's all kinds of study tools at BibleGateway.com. There's a bunch of different websites like that. Uh, maybe some of you have used BibleGateway.com when you didn't understand something or you just texted me and I looked it up for you and texted you back. You know, whatever. Uh, but BibleGateway.com announced a couple weeks ago that they saw a huge surge in their search engine activity in 2020. They saw a huge surge in people looking in their search engine to find out what does the Bible have to say about social upheaval and social justice. What does the Bible say about disease? That, that the, the public was asking the question more than they'd ever seen before on their, the, their, the history of their search engine. What does the Bible have to say about the stuff we're seeing in the world? I think it's awesome that they would look to the only place where an answer can be found. And interestingly, interestingly, they said that the, the three most searched topics in the Bible on their site for 2020 were the same three as every other year. Love, hope, and peace. It seems like as a culture, we're missing peace and we're looking for it. And if we're looking to the scriptures, that's really encouraging to me because that means we're looking to the only place where it can be found. And so we, we began this study, like I said, talking about the Christmas story and then even going to hundreds of years of prophecy prior to the Christmas story, the, the beginning of, of Jesus' time on earth. And now this morning we're going to skip forward to the end of his time on earth. John chapter 20, we'll look at just one verse in this uh, chapter and then we'll turn back or scroll back. Those of you who are using your phone, if you're watching on your phone, we'll have it here on the screen. John chapter 20, verse number 19 says, on the evening of that day, what day? The day that changed everything. The day where everything Jesus ever claimed to be was proven to be believable and trustworthy. That day where he defeated the authority of death, hell, and the grave. The third day after his crucifixion. That's the day, the first day of the week. This is Easter morning, resurrection day. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood uh, among them and said to them, peace, peace be with you. So on the the night that he's born, the angels talk about the fact that peace is going to come on earth. And when Jesus raises from the dead and comes back to his group of followers, the first word he speaks over them. Peace. I think that's awesome. The first word he speaks is peace. The same word that was whispered as he was entering planet earth. But he has been in that room with these people before, just a few days before, actually. We believe that's the same room where they celebrated the Passover together. We believe that that room on that day was the upper room, which we really creatively call the room that was apparently upper. 
They had been in that room before on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And John the Apostle records a whole lot of information about that night. As a matter of fact, John chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16 are all a record of that conversation and the events of that night in that room. It's the longest single encounter we have information about Jesus and his disciples. And and he dedicates those four chapters to that. Chapter 17, Jesus prays over, I believe, all of his followers, not just those who are present in that moment. Chapter 18, he's betrayed, mock trial in the dark of night. Chapter 19, he's crucified. And then chapter 20 is the resurrection. So those four chapters leading up to this transition is the last time they were in the room. And so think about this. Four chapters of the New Testament given to this one conversation. How does Jesus end that conversation last time they were in this room? Turn back just a couple pages uh, or scroll to chapter 16. The last verse of chapter 16, Jesus says, hey, I've... I've talked for four chapters. He wasn't really talking in chapters, but he knew in the moment that this would be recorded for you and for me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And he's talking about this incredible instruction in the upper room. But the fact is that could apply to every word he's spoken to them up to this point. Everything I've said and done is that in me... You may have peace. You can have peace in me. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You won't believe what I'm fixing to do. <laughs> Jesus, when, when he's born, there's this promise of, of peace on earth. Hundreds of years before he's born, there's this whisper of the Messiah will bring peace. When he raises from the dead, the first word he speaks is peace. The last word he speaks to them before he goes to the cross is peace. That's why I've said all this to you. How is that possible? How can we experience that kind of peace? Well, look back earlier in that conversation, chapter 14. Either flip or scroll to chapter 14. Talking about the heart. Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world here. He's going to talk about the heart again. Verse number one, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The word Advent simply means arriving or coming. And what Jesus is reminding us here, it's the only place we can find any peace, is he hasn't finished his arriving yet. There's another arriving happening. happening. We're not done with Advent Christmas has not yet been fully fulfilled. All we had was act one, scene one of the great story of God among his people. He said, I'll come again. I will come again. Our hope in the waiting, our hope of experiencing peace on earth is knowing that he's coming again. 
And just like his people waited for hundreds and hundreds of years for him to come the first time, we're now a part of the generation that's been waiting for him to come the second and final time. We're still waiting. And in the waiting, he offers us peace in the promise that he'll come back. Later in chapter 14, look down at verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. So in the waiting, before I come back again, here's what I'm going to leave with you. More peace. You see the centrality of peace in his message? My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's not peace from earth, it's peace on earth. And he's going to talk about the hearts again. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. No matter what 2021 brings your way, and I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a shocking year. I believe you're going to make it. You're going to be okay because Christmas is still at work. It's not over. Feel free to put the decorations away. Just know he's not done. He's still on the move. And he's coming again. Our peace is in knowing that whatever we face and whatever we walk through, that's not the end for us. Those of us in this room who have laid loved ones to rest this year, some of us very unexpectedly, that's not the end of their story either. Because Christmas isn't over yet. There's still an advent on its way. So think about this. When, when you are using your GPS, right, you, you look up the location, you put in your destination. It asks you where you want to do the route from your current location. And then it's going to pop up and show you the route that you're going to take. But you're not really on your way until you start moving, right? You got to hit start on the GPS and it will tell you where to go from there, right? And here's the thing, Genesis chapter three, the fall of humankind, we, we rebel against God. We eat of the forbidden fruit, right? A curse falls upon humankind. A a curse falls upon this earth. Shalom was broken, but there was also a curse placed upon the accuser, the, the evil one, the, the serpent and, and his curse was this whisper of hope that one would come at some point in time and crush his head. And and that defeat would not be without bruising, but his defeat was coming. It was the whisper that the thing that broke our shalom will finally be destroyed. That was the, the destination on the GPS. Ding! You may now turn the page. Some of you are old enough to know what that means. You turn the page to chapter four and you know what that is? God pressed start on the GPS and every event that happens that unfolds throughout every prophecy given of that baby born in the manger is another step towards that great day. And the Christmas story is not you have arrived at your definition, your destination. It's, hey, you took a pit stop, but we're not there yet. We're still awaiting the final consummation of the making right of everything that's wrong. Of the final defeat of the wicked one. We're still on that journey. We're still 
arriving. <laughs> That's where peace is found, is knowing that, that this is not our home. And that this is not the end of our story. Even as we grieve, and even as things are difficult. The great writer, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, on Christmas Day of 1863... Kathy Wrench, you remember that Christmas? <laughs> Don't act shocked. I've said worse. <laughs> Christmas of 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was, was actually wrecked with grief. Two years prior, he had lost his second wife. He lost his first wife, remarried the love of his life, Fanny, Fanny Longfellow. <laughs> Anyways, um, the love of his life, um, she had died in a tragic accident uh, right in front of his eyes. He was, he was grieving her loss. And then on December 1st of that year, 1863, he got a telegram. His oldest son had enlisted with the Union Army Fighting in the Civil War, he got a telegram on December 1st of that year saying that he had been shot. The telegram said, if your son survives, we believe he'll be paralyzed. And so Christmas Day, here sits a father of six, widowed for the second time, worried for his son on the battlefield, and then worried for his other five children about What's this world going to look like at the end of the Civil War? And as he's grieving and as he's worried, he hears the church bells ring. As they would do every Christmas day. He hears those bells and he did what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow usually did. He, he wrote something down that ended up being pretty profound. He wrote a poem called Christmas Bells. You might know it because it got turned into a song and like you always hear the little angelic choir boys with the disturbingly high voices singing it. I heard the bells are great. You heard that one? Yeah. But the words of that are, are, are so powerful to me about the, the hope that's coming, about the, the future that's coming. It's honest about the grief. The, the poem says, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right Prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That is Advent peace right there. Even in the waiting and even in the grieving, it's, it's what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Rome. He said, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not that this hasn't been a difficult year for many. It's, it's not that you're not grieving. It's not that you're not disappointed. It's just that there's a greater glory that drives us to press on and to not lose heart. Go back to verse 3. Verse 3, he talks about that he's preparing 
John 14, verse 3. The next slide there, Ben. That he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I love that word prepare. Like he's up to something today. I heard a preacher recently say this. He said, think about the the most beautiful place you've been on planet earth. Beautiful uh, waterfall or, or maybe you've been to Niagara Falls or maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon or traveled abroad. Maybe you've been to some space museum and you've seen a glimpse of the galaxies, right? He did all that in seven days. Can you imagine what he's been working on for 2,000 years? Like, what's he been preparing? Can you imagine what he's up to? 2,000 years of his creativity scheming? That's him preparing. It's interesting that that we, we see in the Christmas story, you know, the little town of Bethlehem didn't have a clue what was going on, right? As a family on Christmas Eve, we watched uh, the chosen episode called The Shepherd. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to Google The Shepherd from The Chosen. If you haven't watched The Chosen, I highly encourage you to do so. But as we're watching this, it was just so real to me to see how oblivious the world was. In the Gospel of John, he says the light shone in the darkness and they didn't perceive it. They didn't even realize what was happening. In John 1.11, he says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Like the world did not perceive him or receive him the first time he came. (laughs) But next time he comes, make no mistake, we will see him as he is. When he finally unveils what he's been preparing... Nobody's going to miss. Silent night? No, sir. <laughs> Not on your life. That's what he's preparing. Dictionary.com allows every year the People's Choice Word of the Year. People vote on it. The People's Choice Word of the Year for 2020, according to Dictionary.com, is the word unprecedented. You know what we're going to see on that great day? Unprecedented. <laughs> You think this year's shown us some things we never imagined? Man, what he is preparing for us. August a year ago, um, I was was preaching at a Christian school in Miami, Florida. And as we're there, uh, I start hearing their chatter about a storm that was picking up speed and momentum and, and heading towards Miami. And if, for any Floridians in the room, when, when a true-blooded Floridian starts to get worried about a storm, it's time to leave. Right? So as I'm there, I'm, I preach for three days, and each day the, the chatter is getting louder. And by the last day, they're boarding up windows. There's lines around the blocks at every gas station. They're selling out of stuff in the grocery stores. And I'm like, i got to go home. Because I had done some, I had done something that we're never supposed to do as parents. I had made a promise to my kid that I didn't really have the authority and control to fulfill. See, the three previous Augusts, I had also been out of town, preaching at a men's retreat at a church up in Missouri. And so, for three years in a row, I had not been here for our annual clay shoot that Tommy Harris always hosts. And so, my middle son Ethan was like, 
hey, we've missed three clay shoots in a row. I really want to go. I said, dude, I bought my flight for first, like as soon as I finish preaching, I will walk off the stage, get in the car and go straight to the airport. I'll be home Friday afternoon. So Saturday morning, we're golden. I promise I'll take you this year. And then a hurricane blew into my promise. After a bunch of messy stuff with my flight, I ended up finding out I'm being rerouted to Jacksonville, Florida. No big deal. Jacksonville's home for us, right? That's until my dad passed where my folks lived, where all of Reese's family lives. Like if I get stranded in Orlando or in, in Jacksonville, rather, we'll, we'll figure it out as long as I get out of Miami. That was my goal. And so I, I get to, to Jacksonville, I land, I get off the plane, and I have a text from my mom that says, Hey, I heard your, your flight got rerouted. If you end up getting stranded, just know we've got clean sheets on the guest bed, clean towels sitting out for you. We'll feed you whatever you want. Come get you. If you need a place, it's here. I responded with, No, I'm getting home. Everything's showing that it's on time. We'll be fine. All the little signs in the airport said the flight was on time. Everything on the American Airlines app said everything was on time. But if you travel enough, you know, you got to watch where the incoming flight is coming from and make sure that it left on time, right? And so I waited till about 15 minutes after that flight was supposed to leave. It's just a, a back and forth flight every day from DFW to Jacksonville, from Jacksonville back to DFW. I open up the American Airlines app. It has not left DFW. Come to find out with the storm blowing in, air traffic is in such chaos in Florida, they're not allowing any planes into the state. They're just trying to get planes out. But they've made no announcement at the gate. Nobody knows this. It still says on time. And I'm like, oh, this ain't going to be on time. They wait until five minutes before takeoff and make an announcement. The flight has been delayed. And I'm like, Sherlock, you know, yeah. People are really mad. They're like, why would you wait till now to tell us? Well, I can see the flight still hasn't taken off from DFW. So they say it's delayed for 45 minutes. It takes longer than 45 minutes to fly from DFW to Jacksonville. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to make it mad again in 45 minutes. Here we go. Sure enough, they delay it for another 45 minutes. The flight still hasn't taken off from here. Finally, I see that the flight hours later left from DFW. Oh, thank goodness. They announced another 45-minute delay and then another 45-minute delay. Man, people are just getting really, really mad. But the plane finally lands. I see it come up. I'm sitting right by the window reading a book. The plane empties. I grab my stuff thinking it's time to get on the plane. They make no announcement. Matter of fact, they've, they've now turned their backs to us and they're having this conversation. I'm like, I can't be good. I sit back down, get my book back out, just keep reading. All of a sudden, I notice next to me is a police officer. And I look up and over by the, the gate agent, there's another police officer. And there's another police officer. And there's two more, like spread out. And I'm like, what's happening? And that's when they make the announcement. Hey, the pilots have now been in the seat too long for FAA uh, maximum hours. They cannot fly you back home. We have no other pilots. This flight has been canceled. Please form a single file line at the gate. We will try to get you home by Monday. It's Friday. And if you've ever watched viral videos of people losing their minds in an airport, 
it's the first time I ever saw it. I mean, like, I've never seen that kind of crazy. And Greg Reich's my brother. Like, it's crazy, right? I'm so glad you're here today. Um, it's crazy. I mean, screaming and cursing at these people as though they can control the weather, right? And then this one military dude bows up at this other dude, and he's like, don't swear at a woman, mister. And he's like, oh, like, it's it's great people like this one woman in a really nice business suit and like uh, name brand looking bags and stuff is like losing her mind and I'm sitting there watching all of this and it was like an out of body experience and it dawned on me I'm surrounded by chaos yet still at peace because I know there's a place prepared for me like, worst case scenario, there's clean sheets and clean towels. Glory to God. And somebody's going to get me. And, and that's the thing. We, we walk through the, the chaos of 2020, and there's supposed to be this, this abiding sense of peace in us that says, no, there's something being prepared for me beyond just this chaos. He's coming again. He's going to take me to myself, to himself. The question is, do we trust him? Is that where our faith lies this morning? Because I'll be honest with you, my concern today is is I'm afraid I've got a lot of people I care about who have great hopes that there is a built-in light switch with January 1, 2021 that's going to be like magical, happy fairy tale Disney ending. And I just don't necessarily see that happening. Sorry. I hope that's not where our peace is being found right now. Or where our our hope is planting itself right now. No, trust in Him. Trust that the same one who was faithful to get us to this point will be faithful to get us to the next point. Because Christmas isn't over yet. He's going to see it through. Which is why Jesus began that. Look back at verse 1 here in, in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me because I'm God. I'm fixing to prove it to you in just a few days. Hang in there. That's in parenthesis. Right? This all comes back to faith. Do we really trust him? Do we really trust that he's in the move? On the move, do we trust that he's going to fulfill what he has started? Do we trust that he is going to come again? And finally make right everything that is wrong. Do we trust him today? That's the million dollar question hanging over us today. Do we trust that Christmas isn't over yet? That he's coming again? I'll close with this story and then we'll be done. A lot of y'all know I, I love college football. I, I'm really glad we got a little college football in 2020. A little bright spot. I, I like watching teams I don't like. I just love watching college football. And one of the neat stories in college football this year was Northwestern. Northwestern University Wildcats. They had a terrible year last year. In 2019, they only won one game. They finished dead last in the Western Division of the Big Ten. Last place, only one win. This year, they only had one loss. And they won the Western Division of the Big Ten. Pretty cool. They made it to the Big Ten championship game facing Ohio State. And it was a pretty cool 
pretty cool thing for them. And so it was exciting to hey, this is a cool story. But I flip over and I see they were winning at the end of the first half. They were up 10 to 6. And here's the thing. Like, any time Ohio State loses, I believe the Lord's on the move for good. And so, all of a sudden, I was really interested. What is a Buckeye? It's not even a thing. So, I'm watching this, and I'm excited, right? And as it goes to halftime, all the players are are running back to the locker room, and I know that there's a coach holding up a blackboard with white letters on it. And every player on their way to the locker room touches this board. Come to find out every time they enter or exit the locker room, a coach holds up this board and every player and coach and helper on the team touches this board. Look at this picture. This is what I see. Trust yourself. And I'm watching them run to the locker room, and I can't help but watch a football game like a pastor, and I'm like, that's not good theology. But they're winning. What do I do with that? <laughs> right? Like, and they're playing against Satan's team, so now we've got, like, I, I don't know. Now who's the good guy and the bad guy? I don't know. So they, they run to the locker room, and they all touch this, and I just couldn't stop thinking about trust yourself. Like, that is the message of the world. Like, I think a lot of people watched the same thing I saw and got warm fuzzies. And all I was thinking is, what a heartbreaking message to send these young men. And here's the thing. They all ran back out of that locker room at the end of halftime. They all touched that sign again. And they went back on the field and didn't score another point and lost by two touchdowns. That's what always happens when our faith is in self. Even if we think we're winning for a minute, in the long haul, it's going to let us down. Because I can't save me. If my faith to persevere is in my knowledge or my gifts or my ability or how I'm going to get through this, I'm eventually going to face something bigger than me. We end this Advent season Boldly proclaiming, trust the only one who's worthy because he will be faithful to complete what he has started. He's still at work. He is coming again. That's where our hope lies. That is where we find our peace. He's coming again. The only question today is, do you trust him? Are you ready to see him as he is?